In Luke chapter 10, you find what is arguably, probably, Jesus' most famous parable. It's a parable that starts out with a question from a religious leader trying to capture Jesus into a trap. He, he's trying to test Jesus' knowledge. And so this religious leader, this teacher of the law, comes to Jesus and says, Teacher, and, and that's a sign of respect, Teacher, what must we do to inherit eternal life? Well, Jesus knew that he was a teacher of the law, so he turned it back on him. He said, What does the law say? And this religious leader said, Well, the law says that you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the Jewish Shema. That's their quote, their saying. And Jesus said, well, that is correct. Do that, and you'll inherit the kingdom of heaven. Well, then the religious leader, trying to show his prideful arrogance, looked at Jesus, again trying to catch him in a test, and said, well, then let me ask you this. Who is my neighbor? If I'm supposed to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, and mind, and strength, and love my neighbor as myself, well then who is my neighbor? And I think that's probably the most relevant question that any of us could ask ourselves this week, especially Christians. Because you see, this week started with a horrible, ter terrible, tragic terrorist attack in Paris. And by the end of the week, it had devolved into this National debate, if not worldwide debate, on what we are supposed to do with all of the thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of refugees that are flooding into Western Europe, that are flooding from the Middle East, flooding from places like Syria, flooding from places like Afghanistan and Iraq, flooding from places in northern Africa like Libya. How are we supposed to respond? How are we supposed to handle it? You see, it's been amazing that in the last four years, Syria has been embroiled in a horrible civil war. A civil war that's destroyed its nation, destroyed it as a country. And in that vacuum, we've seen this Islamic extremism rise up and begin to persecute and kill not only their own people, but those that disagree with them. And because of that, in the last four years, four million Syrian refugees have fled their country. Four million refugees. Now I know for most of us that um, has just gone in and out. We haven't paid any attention because we're on the other side of the world. I mean, it doesn't really affect us. I mean, sure, there's Christians being killed, and, and we pray for those Christians when we've watched it on TV or seen it in the news, and the Christians in Libya that were beheaded, and the Christians in Syria that are being pushed out, one of the earliest places for the church. Some of the Christians that have been in place for 2,000 years are, are being uprooted and moved out of their homes. And the Muslims even being persecuted because they are a different faith. Shia instead of Sunni or Sunni instead of Shia. And they're being disrupted. And, and, and sure, we pray for them. We, we pray for those Christians and, and those ones who are being crucified and kicked out of their homes and being separated and sold into slavery. But before you know it, we've slipped right back into our distractions, right? Because, I mean, we have to keep up with what's going on with the Kardashians or our college football team or our pro football team. And, and we've got all these other things going on that, that distract us from what's going on in the world around us. And then what happened this last week exploded. And all of a sudden, you begin to see people paying attention. All of a sudden, you begin to see people having opinions. 
See, it was tough for us to ignore this summer. If you paid any attention to the news, you began to see what was a mass migration. They showed in the news these flows of people coming across the Mediterranean and leaky and sinking boats, overfilled with humans. Saw people in Bosnia at the gates and Hungary at the gates to the border, trying to flood into that country, getting on trains, trying to move into northern France. And, and, and sure, we saw that probably, but we didn't really understand the magnitude of what was going on. But then Paris happened. And all of a sudden it became an issue in which every one of us has an opinion. And in voicing our opinion, what really began to bother me is the question, who is our neighbor? What really began to bother me was, was what when we look at these refugees, when we look at these people that are flooding into these countries and ask who is going to take care of them and what are they going to do has been the void of proper Christian response. Now, most of these refugees do come from Muslim and Islamic countries. There are some Christian refugees, but most of them are Muslim. Most of them are Islamic fleeing from the very same persecution that has killed Christians. In the past four years, matter of fact, let me give you some facts. In the past four years, the United States of America has taken in 2,700 refugees from Syria. 2,700 refugees, and they have each gone through a process that has taken anywhere from 18 to 24 months to be able to get in. They get vetted by five different organizations, including the FBI, the State Department, and the Defense Department. And in that process, as they are getting vetted, that 18 to 24 months, they are then turned over to one of nine nonprofit organizations, six of which are Christian, to help them become a part of our society, to assimilate in society. So I, I, when we begin to see what's happening in Europe and equate that with what's going to happen in the United States, that's a false understanding because there's nobody pushing down our gates there aren't boats coming to the east coast or the gulf of mexico trying to flock into our country there has been a process for accepting people into our country and of those 2700 you need to understand 70 percent of them have been women and children another 20 percent has been people over 65 only 1.7 percent of that 2700 people in four years from syria that has come to the united states have been between the ages of 18 and 30 but the united states decided earlier this summer with all the flood that was coming in the administration decided that they would up that number from 2700 in four years to 10,000 in the next year Probably most of you didn't pay any attention. You didn't know that. You didn't hear anything about it back at the end of the summer when this was discussed. But all of a sudden when Paris happened, people began to speculate and fear began to rise up. And people began to think, well, wait, maybe some of those guys that bombed that concert hall, that set that bomb off outside the soccer stadium, maybe some of those people are part of this, this flux of people fl flooding in. This refugee crisis. Now, there's no evidence that they came in with that flux of people, but they were refugees. They, they flew in. They were pushed out of their own country. But there's no evidence that they came in with this flood of people that we've seen, this mass migration in the last year that we've seen happening in the Western Europe. But it caused fear to rise up. And then all of a sudden, the political pundits began to say, but the U.S. is going to let 10,000 of these people in. And everybody all of a sudden had an opinion. Everybody wanted to vocalize what they felt and, and what they thought about it. 
Facebook was filled with posts on one side or the other. Every political candidate seemed to have an opinion. Governors from, from all the different states were saying, you're not going to bring those refugees into our country, except, especially not into our state. You heard buzzwords like, can we have security or do we have to be compassionate? You had Christians arguing against other Christians. You had terms thrown around like isolationist and xenophobic and people comparing people's response to how we responded to the Jewish refugees in 1939. It got ugly, and it continues to get ugly. And that's why I'm talking about it this morning. See, it wasn't my topic to talk about this morning in our series. We're talking 200 proof, looking at cultural questions with biblical answers and had a whole other subject. I announced it last week and I've been preparing for it for six months. But as I began to read these posts and I began to pray about what God was saying and began to look, all of a sudden by Tuesday the Holy Spirit had changed what I was supposed to share this morning. Not because I have any great wisdom, not because I have any better understanding than what you have, but because I think we as a church need to be resolute in how we respond. Not responding politically, not responding by what's popular, but by responding what's biblical. The whole purpose of this series that we're giving is to develop a biblical worldview, a scriptural worldview. And I think the question as I, I looked over and over again and read and, and researched what was going on was this question, who is my neighbor? And I began to ask myself, what is the primary voice in my head that is leading me to have the opinions that I have, that is influencing my thoughts, that is influencing my behavior in regards to how we look at this refugee scenario? Is the voice in my head, is it political pundits? Is it talk radio? Is it, is it the post on Facebook? Is it what popular right now? Maybe what that voice in my head is, is my own fear. But where does the Bible fit in? What voice has the Holy Spirit had? And I would think and, and say and do, you know, what would I think about this refugee situation if I didn't hear anybody else's opinion? Now, all of you, if you've been around this week, you, you've heard all of it. Some of you probably formed opinions. Some of you might have even posted stuff on social media. Some of you might have even talked about it at work and vocalized your view. Let me ask you this. If you didn't hear any political pundits, if you didn't hear anything else on Facebook, if you didn't know anything else except that all of these people were being persecuted and uh, pushed out of their homes, their homes destroyed, pushed out of their land, and all you had to go on in your thoughts and your uh, discernment was the Word of God, how would your view be different now than it was this week? Because, see, that's the purpose of this series, gaining a biblical perspective on world issues. And it's pretty clear that this is one of those issues that the Bible's clear on. See, some of these issues we've talked about, the Bible's been kind of gray. The Bible hasn't been very clear, but this is one of those issues where the Bible is more than clear. Matter of fact, there are over 20 verses in the Old Testament alone that deal with foreigners and refugees and strangers. Leviticus 19.33 says this, When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. For the foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as you love yourself. For you were once a foreigner in Egypt yourself. Deuteronomy 10.18 says this, God defends the cause of the fatherless and the widows and loves the foreigners residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those very same foreigners. 
There's many more in the New Testament. If you want to lump in all the verses that talk about widows and orphans, that talk about meeting the needs of the helpless and the homeless, meeting the needs of the hungry, you could, you could throw all of those in. But even going back to Jesus' words, to, to teaching who is my neighbor, what does Jesus say? He gives a story. Talks about a man that was leaving from Jerusalem, going down to Jericho, which going down towards the sea was a difficult journey. And as he's leaving the city, he is accosted and he is mobbed and he is mugged and he is beat up and left for dead laying on the street. And as he's laying there on the street, Jesus tells the story. The first person coming, going back to Jerusalem, is a priest, a religious leader. And the priest looked up and sees the man beaten, sees the man bloody, and sees the man bruised. And instead of going his way, he makes... A purposeful decision to go to the other side of the street and walks right by him. And Jesus said the second one that comes up the street is a Levite. He's not a priest, but he's a religious person. In church every time the doors are open, spiritual if you would. And instead of going by the way of the hurt and wounded man, he wanted nothing to do with it. So he walked on the other side of the street. And then Jesus said a third man came along and he was a Samaritan. You have to understand in the Jewish culture there was no worse people than the Samaritans. They hated them. They were dirty. They were considered filthy. One of the prayers in the Jewish prayer book was that I would pray that God would rather raise me as a donkey than to be a Samaritan. They hated them. And so for Jesus to use the word Samaritan, it was eye-opening. He said the Samaritan came along, and instead of going the way of the religious leader, instead of going the way of the religious person, this man walked to the wounded and reached down and began to heal him and meet his needs and tend to his wounds. And not only that, he picked him up and he put him on his donkey and he carried him into town, and then he put him into a, a hotel, a place to stay, and he paid somebody to come and watch him while the Samaritan did his business and said, listen, any cost that you have, I'll come back and cover it. So then Jesus looked at the religious leader and said, which one of those three was the neighbor? And the religious leader said it was the one who showed mercy. And the word there for mercy is the same word for compassion. It's the one who showed compassion. Now I want you to think about the way you've responded this week. What you've seen in the news to this refugee crisis. Which one of those three best describe our response? I wonder how many of us have said, shut the borders, shut the doors. We don't want anything to do with it. Oh, oh we love them and, and we'll send money, but, but don't bring them over here. I, I don't have anything to do with them. Others of us say, I'm too busy. How many of us are willing to say, we have a calling, we have a purpose in our life to be a neighbor? Galatians 5.14, Paul said this, the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, Love your neighbor as yourself. You see, I understand there's an argument going on. I understand all the principles behind it. There, there seems to be this choice. Either we secure ourselves and have security or, or we're compassionate. But I don't think those have to be either or. I don't think those words are mutually exclusive. You see, I think our goal should be security and compassion. And we shouldn't settle for anything less. Now, I understand. Under, please hear me. I believe we have an immigration mess in our country. Our policies are crazy and ridiculous and make no sense. And we are trying to do something that is impossible to do, but we cannot confuse what our policy failures in immigration with how we treat the people that are in need. 
We can't equate the two. We can't make these two somehow come together and be one because we have a calling regardless of how bad the policies of our government are, regardless of how cloudy our views are. We have a calling that is higher than all of that. I believe we have to secure our borders. I believe for security reasons we have got to secure our borders for our safety. And it's the government's responsibility to protect and secure our borders and our nation for the safety of its people. And our government is doing a poor job. I don't care what political party you are. It's not political. Our government is doing a bad job securing our borders. But we cannot allow that to keep us from being compassionate to those that are coming in. You see, if you don't like that our government is not securing our borders, then you get out and vote and change our government. You don't lash out at the very people that need help and hope. Because that's not who we are. That's not what we're called to do. You see, we can't allow fear to keep us from sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can't allow fear of what may happen or what could happen if some terrorist gets in. And listen, I am firmly under the belief that more terrorists will get in through our loose borders than will ever come in through the refugee process. Because terrorists aren't going to wait 18 to 24 months to come in. People say, oh, but the pastor, the, the Boston bombers were terrorists. And they were refugees. They were refugees who have been in this country for 18 years. They're homegrown terrorists more than they're refugees. They, they've assimilated into our country. So you can't lump them together with people that are being pushed out of their homes overseas. See, the point is this, and I want you to hear this. We can have both. We can have security. We can have compassion, but we can't allow fear or the lack of security to sidetrack or distract us from our message. And our message is hope. Make no mistake, we are at war with a demonic ideology that is intent on death. It's not just extremism. It is moderate Islam that is at war with everything that pursues life. Because the Quran in and of itself, and, and this isn't part of this message, and somewhere down the road I'll, I'll share more and help you understand some. But, but the message of it, the book itself is death. Death to anyone who disagrees. Death to anyone who might question what they believe. And our leaders may not want to acknowledge it. They may not want to do anything about it. But it's happening. But we can't allow how that war is being mishandled to sidetrack us from showing compassion and ministry to the very people that are being destroyed by that war, regardless of what their faith is. We can't say we want to minister to those that are Christians. And if you're a Christian, you can come in, but everyone else isn't welcome. What does that say to the world around us? Now, I wish we had a foreign policy that would step up and eliminate the cause of all of these refugees and, and these widows and these orphans, but that's not happening. I wish we had a policy, a foreign policy that would somehow secure part of Syria and, and create safe zones so that these people wouldn't have to flee their homes and flee their country. Listen, these people don't want to leave their houses, whether it's in Afghanistan or Iraq or Syria or Libya. They don't want to leave. They're leaving because they're being forced to under the threat of death. They've seen family members killed. They've seen their children persecuted and kidnapped. They don't have a choice. I wish we could create safety zones so that these people could stay there and we could minister to them and help them where they are. But that's not happening. So we have to live in reality and open our eyes 
that we've got to do more. And please listen. Christianity has never been about being safe. Now, where we got that idea? Read the book. Look at the early church. Go read what Paul said in 1 Corinthians when he reads the litany of all the things that he's endured as he, as he planted churches, persecuted, shipwrecked, snake bit, stoned three times. That doesn't sound like safety. All through church history, Christians have given their life. Why? Simply for the cause of Jesus Christ. People are doing it even around the world today. We hold up high people like Jim Elliott, who was one of my heroes in the faith, who's sharing the gospel in Quito, Ecuador, was willing to withstand the, the slings and arrows by the way of real arrows that killed him and four other men for the sake of the gospel being spread. And yet today in the church you hear more people talking about fear than confidence in God. You see, we need to recognize this. Our words matter. Your words matter. How you respond matters. Do those words, do those actions come from a heart of compassion and love and mercy focused on the Great Commission? Or do they come from some political pundit that you are repeating what you've heard because it sounded good? Or, or are they there because you're going to get more likes on Facebook if you go with what's being popular? Or are they there because you're confident and convicted by what the Word of God says is our job to do? I wonder how many people, as I was praying Wednesday and Thursday and had no idea what I was going to share and reading all of these posts, and people always preface what they're going to say by, I'm a Christian, but... And I wondered how many hurt and empty and hopeless people that live in this country are looking at Facebook and seeing Christians respond. And what they're seeing is Levite walking down the other side of the street and religious leader walking down the other side of the street while we have a wounded and battered people laying in the street. I think it's ironic that next week Baptists around the world are starting their Lottie Moon Christmas offering. It's a Christmas offering for foreign missionaries, but I, I see that it's somewhat inconsistent for us as a church to take up money and to pray for missionaries that we send into environments where they are at risk for the sake of sharing the gospel of Christ when we are not even willing to embrace some degree of risk to reach the very same people that they are going overseas to reach. This morning, we just prayed for these shoeboxes. We just dedicated them. Some are going to end up in the hands of the very same refugees that we've been reading about and talking about. Are we to say to those people, I'll pray for you. I'll put together a shoebox. I'll, I'll give you a couple hours of my time, but I don't want you in my country. Let me ask you this. Think about this. What if this is all part of God's plan? Think about it with me for a moment. What if through the senseless evil of civil war and terror, God is bringing unreached people groups to our cities, to our communities. What if through the heartache and pain of tragedy, God was bringing the mission field to us? That God was somehow bringing the triumph of the gospel 
and his church through this whole process. And so many of us have closed our mind to it because of fear. Do you recognize that Syria itself has 20 million Muslims? And of those 20 million Muslims, there are 18 unreached people groups in Syria alone. That is 18 tribes, people groups that have never been told the gospel of Jesus Christ, have never been reached for the gospel of Christ that are in Syria right now. Mission groups around the world have spent millions of dollars in training and planning to send missionaries there. What if God's plan was to bring those very same people here so that we could share the gospel and so they could see it lived out? You say, well, these people are angry Muslims and they're never going to change. You're doubting the power of God? How many people said the same thing about you? There's no hope for them. He'll turn his back on God. He doesn't care about God. She's walked away from God. But yet the prodigal father sits on the porch waiting. The question, is it safe, is a question for the government to ask, not us. It's a question for the government to answer. And our government has a responsibility to have proper screening. I believe in that to send it through the right organizations, to vet those people and for protection. But our question today should be asking ourselves, what's God up to and how can I be a part of it? Not fear, not not scared, but what is God doing and how can I play a role? You see, we can have discussions, we can have debate about how we can be more secure, but what is not up for debate is that the Word of God calls the church and believers to stand for compassion, to stand for mercy, to stand for love, and we've got to be about that. See, what I'm worried about this week is that in the rush to form an opinion, in the rush to be caught up in the know, many Christians have forgotten what that simple question was. Who is your neighbor? Maybe this video will help you answer that question. I don't know what the answer is. I don't, I don't know how we can solve these kind of problems. But I know we trust that God is in control and God is at work. I know that you and I have a responsibility to not forget who is our neighbor. Jesus gave another parable about sheep and goats and said this, For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. And I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. And I was a stranger and you did not invite me in and I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. And they all answered him, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty? Or when did we see you a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Who is the least of these? You saw. We may not have an answer, but we can't allow fear to override our calling to share the good news of Jesus Christ around the world, whatever it costs, whatever it takes. I pray this week you look with spiritual eyes 
as you read the news and as you see all that's going on and ask, what is God up to? Let's pray. Father, we just come with heavy hearts broken for the hurting that we see going on around the world. Father, not just for the Christians that are being persecuted and killed and wounded and, and, and martyred and separated from their homes, but Father, for the Muslims because they're your children. And Father, we, we pray right now that Father, those that are on the front lines that are sharing the gospel would have the support of those of us in the church. Father, most of us in this room probably will never see a refugee. Probably never have to get somebody off a boat, never have to stand at a gate greeting someone. But Father, that doesn't stop our call and our compassion and our drive to love the hurting, to feed the hungry. Father, your word tells us that faith and love drive out fear. So Father, I pray this morning that each of our hearts would be filled with love. So much love and compassion because I was a stranger. I was a refugee at one time. Cast out. And yet you still looked for me. You came after me. And you loved me. And you gave me grace and mercy. And Father, let us be about the same thing. God, speak to us now. In your name. Just stand as we worship.